morning, family. Good to see you all this morning. I want to tell you a quick story uh, before we get into um, our sermon. My grandma was one of the people in my life who helped me become the person I am today. Um, she Part of the reason that I'm saved today is because of her example and definitely because of her prayers, that's for sure. <laughs> and um, I don't know if you have a person in your life who prays for you, whether you ask them to or not. That was my grandma. I'm, tell- I'm telling you right now, God listens to the grandmas because everything she prayed came true. And I don't know what it is about grandmas, but they have like some kind of secret connection or secret line to God. It's like God says, oh, this is a grandma. We're going to listen to her. And, and so <laughs> I'm not kidding you. Everything she prayed happened. Um, and Graham went home to be with Jesus in 2009 after a long battle with Parkinson's. And a couple of years after she passed, um, I was blessed to get my hands on some of her old recipes because Graham was the best cook ever. And it was generations of recipes, stuff from her parents and her parents' parents, and um, it was a real find. And But mixed in at the bottom of the recipes were about three or four months' worth of pages from her prayer journal. Now, I saw Grandma reading her Bible in that old wooden rocking chair every time I would spend the day or night at her house. But I never realized how important prayer was to her until I read these pages. Because we're talking about written prayers every day for months on end. Sometimes short, sometimes long. Um focusing on many, many things. And here's, here's a short one that I really, really like. Um, I've been reading Instructive Moments with the Savior. Here's a good thought. When you pray, realize before whom you stand. Thank you for being my Savior, Heavenly Father. It wasn't just that prayer was important to my grandma. It was that she saw it as a privilege. And that perspective changed how she addressed God and how she addressed her circumstances. And just like my grandma, we have this opportunity this morning. We have this opportunity to embrace the privilege of prayer. And so God shows us this incredible reminder found in Second Chronicles 20. Um, but before we read, I, wanna, I want us to pray and just ask God to illuminate his word to us so that we can see this privilege that he provides for us. So let's pray. Father, we love you. And um, your word shows us so, so much. And so as we come before you this morning, Father, I would just ask that you would guide us as we understand your word. Guide me as I'm up here sharing a message that you've given me. I ask that you just move me out of the way, Father. We want everything to point to you. We want everything to glorify you. And so we ask in this time, Father, as we learn from your word, every single one of us in this room, including me, that you would illuminate your word to us and be glorified in it. We love you so much. In Jesus' name, amen. Second Chronicles 20, uh, verses 1 through 18. After this, the Moabites and Ammonites came with came with some of the Mennonites to came to wage war against Jehoshaphat. 
Some people came and told Jehoshaphat, A vast army is coming against you from Edom. That is from the other side of the Dead Sea. It is already in Hazan Tamar, that is in Gedi. Alarmed, Jehoshaphat resolved to inquire of the Lord, and he proclaimed a fast for all of Judah. The people of Judah came together to seek help from the Lord. Indeed, they came from every town in Judah to seek him. Then Jehoshaphat stood up in the assembly of Judah in and Jerusalem at the temple of the Lord in front of the new courtyard and said, Lord, the God of our ancestors, are you not the God who is in heaven? You rule over all the kingdoms in the nation. Power and might are in your hand and no one can withstand you. Our God, did you not drive out the inhabitants of this land before your people Israel and give it forever to the descendants of Abraham, your friend? They have lived in it. They have built a sanctuary for your name, saying, If calamity comes upon us, whether sword or judgment, the sword of judgment or plague or famine, we will stand in your presence before this temple that bears your name and will cry out to you in distress, and you will hear us and save us. But now here are men from Ammon, Moab, and Mount Seir, whose territory you would not allow Israel to invade when they came from Egypt. And so they turned away from them and did not destroy them. See how they were repaying us by coming to drive us out of the possession you gave us as an inheritance? Oh God, will you not judge them? We have no power to face this vast army that is attacking us. We do not know what to do, but our eyes are on you. All the men of Judah with their wives and their children and their little ones, stood there before the Lord. Then the Spirit of the Lord came on Jehazel, son of Zechariah, the son of Benaiah, the son of Jaleel, the son of Mattaniah, and a Levite and descendant of Asaph. And he stood in the assembly and he said, Listen, King Jehoshaphat and all who live in Judah and Jerusalem, this is what the Lord says to you. Do not be afraid or discouraged because of this vast army, for the battle is not yours but God's. Tomorrow, march down against them. They will be climbing up by the pass of Ziz, and you will find them at the end of the gorge of the desert of Jeruel. You will, you will not have to fight this battle. Take up your positions, stand firm, and see the deliverance the Lord will give to you. Judah and Jerusalem, do not be afraid. Do not be discouraged. Go out and face them tomorrow, and the Lord will be with you. Jehoshaphat bowed down with his face to the ground, and all the people of Judah and Jerusalem fell down in worship before the Lord. Okay. That leads us into our first, very first point of how, to how, the, how we can embrace the privilege of prayer. And our first point is turning to God must be our first priority. And that's verses 1 through 3. Now, some background real fast on Jehoshaphat, because it's important before we read this scripture. Jehoshaphat is king of Judah. And he's one of the few godly kings that Israel or Judah had at this time, during this time period. But Jehoshaphat had just narrowly escaped death in a battle with King Ahab of Israel. And King Ahab was not a, guy, a king that feared God. So this was a poor decision. 
So God had spared Jehoshaphat after this battle. And so he's kind of licking his wounds a bit. This has been a rough, this has been a rough go for him after a poor decision. Sometimes after this, messengers bring Jehoshaphat bad news. An army is coming up to wage war on the country of Judah. Clearly this is less than an ideal situation for Jehoshaphat. But it's, rea- it's his reaction in verse 3 that is so, so striking. Now I'm going to start at verse 2 just so we have that co- proper context. Some people came and told Jehoshaphat, a vast army is coming up against you from Edom and the other side of the Dead Sea. It is already in Hazan Tamar, that is in Gedi. Alarmed, Jehoshaphat resolved to inquire of the Lord and proclaim a fast for all of Judah. Okay, so the NIV says that Jehoshaphat was alarmed, as any of us would be if, if, he, if we were in his situation. But his first response is to resolve to inquire of the Lord. Now this word resolve means to be firmly determined to do something. And this, these words inquire and seek, they come from a same root word, which basically ha- they have a basic sense of worship, but they also have a meaning of to discover God's will. So when we put all these concepts together, here's what we see. We see that this, we, this means that Jehoshaphat had decided to seek God's will first. He cared about God's opinion more than any of his advisors, and he wanted God to direct his next step. War is about to break out. War. He is about to be attacked from every side from a huge army, and Jehoshaphat is literally stopping. He's stopping to figure out what God's will is for the situation. Now imagine, imagine if we treated life this way. Imagine if when life became difficult or our relationships fell apart, or even in the most basic, in the most basic of decisions, we went out of our way to stop and inquire of what God's will is, just to discover what his will is in that situation. And this can be really hard for us because we, God doesn't always move at the pace we like. You know, we live in this world that thrives off of instant gratification. And Plus, we love to take charge of our own life. But we have to remind ourselves not to treat God like a spiritual ATM. We often need to be reminded that God is inviting us to participate in his will, not the other way around. And we often get this confused. Because our role is to grow in knowledge of him, live life worthy of him, and live in joyful thanks. That's our job. Not to dictate the will to God. He's inviting us into his will. But oftentimes, we don't do that. We go and we say, okay, you know what? Hey, God, this is what I think your will should be. No, we're trying to search out God's will. And that's why we need prayer. Because prayer is designed to keep us aligned with the will of God. That's what prayer is designed for. And it isn't bad that Jehoshaphat had advisors. Just as many of you, I know I do, have many godly people in our lives that we go to. But see, that's not the next step. Because look at the end of verse 3. Alarmed, Jehoshaphat resolved to inquire of the Lord. 
and he proclaimed a fast for all of Judah. See, the next step is to proclaim a fast for all of Judah. So let's say he goes to one of his advisors or something else prior to talking to God. He ends up delaying what God would want to happen, which is the fast. See, going to our church family, going to our pastors, going to our family, this isn't wrong. But God is teaching us something here. God is showing us that his design for us, the design is inquire of him first, and that will lead you to the next step. And that may be asking advice from someone. That may be sharing with someone. That may be keeping it to yourself. We will find that when we have made inquiring our God of God our first priority, that we are led by the Spirit instead of just lost in the dark. And so now that we've explored this idea of going to God as our first priority, the passage now is going to lead us into this idea of how to walk together. And that brings us to our second point. And that's that prayer must become more than a personal journey. And this is verse 4. And I think this might be my my favorite verse in the whole passage. The people of Judah came together to seek help from the Lord. Indeed, they came from every town in Judah to seek him. Now, Proclaiming a fast for an entire country is one thing. But getting every person to respond and actually do it is a whole different matter. That's a completely different matter. But that's what we see here. Because the first thing the people did was come together, every person. And they come together in the town of Judah. This is not just a few people. This is not, hey guys, we're going to have a cookout. Let's get 65 people to come on out and we're going to pray too. And, you know, because we're Christians, we have to have food. Like, that's part of the deal, right? Isn't that what we do? And, no, this is people from every town in Judah is saying, okay, we're all going to come together to seek help from the Lord. So that shows us that the response is corporate and unified. And, and so this response by the people of Judah is a reminder for us that prayer isn't just this personal journey. Now, we should absolutely pray on our own. And Jesus taught us how to do that in the Gospels. But seeking the Lord isn't just this private endeavor. It's not just a personal journey. Part of living in community with one another and being in the body of Christ is praying for one another. And so, the, But the key to that is that God is calling us to is that we glorify him in a, in, a, in a way, that we do that in a way that glorifies God. I understand that maybe you're not comfortable sharing, here, sharing yourself with others in church on Sunday morning. I understand that. That's why we have disciple groups, that you can do that for all sorts of ages. You gotta admit, Joel's pretty happy that I did that, right? Joel's Joel's excited that I brought up the disciple groups, right? So pay me later, a couple bucks. Um, 
And that's why we have these disciple groups. So you can do that in other spaces. But if you are comfortable sharing in, on Sunday morning, if you are comfortable sharing prayer requests, can I encourage you to help share the load? Can I help you? Can I encourage you to share the load by praying there too? We need your help. We want your help. We're a body. And there's joy in that. It is sweet to do that. And, and if not, then pray and share in our disciple groups with each other during the week. Be a part of them. It's a part of body life that we need to take advantage of. We can't afford to miss out on, on this concept of, of the privilege of praying for one another or allowing ourselves to be prayed for. See, God calls us to step out of our comfort zone and embrace the joy that community can bring. And sometimes that's hard, I know, because it's, it's hard to be vulnerable. But God calls us to that as part of being in a community. Of, we're here at Freedom Bible Church, and this is a part of who we are. We aren't meant to go it alone. You aren't designed to go it alone. I'm not designed to go it alone. We need each other. And part of the privilege of prayer is being able to say, hey, will you pray for me? You know, Can I pray for you? I want to do this. I should want to do this for my body of believers that I'm a part of. Now, that leads us to our third point. Because sometimes it's hard when we're talking about these things. We want a pathway. And sometimes it's... it's tough to know, okay, well, how do we do this? And so Jehoshaphat's prayer is going to model trust for us, and this is going to be verses 5 through 11. Now these next, you know, these next six, seven verses or so are, they are a public prayer by Jehoshaphat. And theologians call this one of the most honest prayers in the Bible. So before we unpack that, it's important to note here that God, that God, the path that God gives us here in his word. Not only did Jehoshaphat model trust, but God is really showing us a path of how to address him, how to talk to him, how, how we can do this with each other. And so, you know, if you are a highlighter or an underliner or whatever, mark this in your Bible. Because when we're alone and when we're thinking about these things, this is a good way for us to go back and say, wow, this is a path that we saw in God's word of how to address him, how to do this with one another. And, and so I want to encourage you to do that because I did, and it really is something that I've referred to. So the first thing he does is he acknowledges God's power, and that's in verses 5, or six, five and 6. Then Jehoshaphat stood up in the assembly of Judah and Jerusalem, at the temple of, of the Lord and in, the, in front of the new courtyard and said, Lord God of our ancestors, are you not the God who is in heaven? You rule over all, the, over all the kingdoms of the nations. Power and might are in your hands and no one can withstand you. Okay, so Jehoshaphat's first step is to recognize how powerful God, God really was. He, doesn't, he, does, he not only addresses God by saying, are you not the God in heaven? But there's also this heartfelt acknowledgement of God's power by Jehoshaphat, and then he's connecting it to Judah's current situation. 
See, Jehoshaphat's example should lead us to ask ourselves, what is our first step when we pray? Do we seek to exalt God's power first, or do we seek to exalt our desires first? And and that is a question, because in a, we live in this, that's an important question, because we live in a culture that constantly bombards us with how important our own opinion is. And, and so it, sometimes that makes it hard to not make ourselves the center of our own world. And Tim Keller has a great quote about this concept when he says that you're, you are underqualified for the job of God. See, when we place ourselves at the center, the, you, when we place ourselves at the center of our prayers, we risk something here. We risk losing the awe of the power of God. See, instead, we can follow Jehoshaphat's model, and we can see so much more. God is giving us an opportunity. He is giving us an opportunity to not settle for less because we can recognize his power in this situation. And when we recognize his power and then we connect it to our circumstance, we realize that God is so much bigger than everything that we have and what we are doing. You know, we've been talking all morning about how crazy our world is right now. Yet we serve a God that is so preeminent and so big and all-surpassing. All and we're sitting here going, wait a second. This is the God that is over all. And so when we are praying that, we're connecting God's power to our circumstances right now. And so whether there are schools or churches or anything closed right now, or you need to stand eight feet away from me when I'm preaching, whatever it is, God is bigger than all that. He is surpassing all that. And so the fact that I am taking that power, understanding that power, acknowledging it, and then sitting here and saying, you know what, this connects to my circumstance right now. This is a huge pathway in prayer that we can find people and we sometimes miss it because we're so busy talking about ourselves. And God is saying, hold up. I want you to have more. And so we can't miss that. And that's a huge deal. So, second, we see we see Jehoshaphat root his trust in God's faithfulness. You know, after he's acknowledged God's power, Jehoshaphat is going to expound on what God has done for them. And this is verses 7 through 9. Oh God, did you not drive out the inhabitants of this land before your people Israel? and give it forever to the descendants of Abraham, your friend. They have lived in it, and they have built in it a sanctuary for your name, saying, if calamity comes upon us, whether the sword or judgment or plague or famine, we will stand in your presence before the temple that bears your name and cry out to you in distress and, wait for it, you will hear us and save us. What I love about this is that Jehoshaphat's trust is now rooted in what God has done for him. God, you have driven out our enemies and given your people your land. And then this in turn drives the direction of the prayer. If calamity comes, we will cry out to you. And then he connects it to the trust of God's faithfulness. You will hear us and save us. See, we can literally pray a prayer that is very similar to this. Father, I know you love me. Like, for example, Father, 
I know you love me and are good. Okay? Because you are God and you saved me from my sin. I know you haven't left me in this circumstance because you didn't leave me in my sin. Therefore, I trust you. Just a short prayer. And you can change that wording to fit whatever works for you. But the key is that we are rooting our trust in God's faithfulness and what he has done for us. And I'm sure that every person in this room can point to a way that God has been faithful to them, whether it's through salvation or whether it's something else in their life this week where they have seen God's faithfulness come through. I know I have. And so we can sit there and say, the fact that God is faithful and the same yesterday, today, and tomorrow forever impacts how I pray. Because it forever impacted how Jehoshaphat prayed. And so when we do this, all of a sudden now, we are rooting our trust in a place that matters. As opposed to placing it in things that are temporal and don't matter. Now third, we see his focus is on God. And this is verses 10 through 12. But now here are men from Ammon, Moab, and Mount Seir whose territory you would not allow Israel to invade when they came from Egypt. So they turned away from them and did not destroy them. See how they are repaying us by coming to drive out the possession you have given us as an inheritance? O God, or our God, will you not judge them? For we have no power to face this vast army that is attacking us. We do not know what to do, but our eyes are on you. The authentic, the authentic, I can't say the word authenticity this morning. I guess get docking now. The authenticity and humility displayed in this portion of the prayer is the first thing that stands out to me, because there's this sense of exasperation um, in verses 10 through the beginning of verse 12, as Jehoshaphat prays, because he pray, he prays with this great deal of openness, you know, because we see him basically saying, Lord. Will you not judge them for attacking us? You can sense that raw emotion that Jehoshaphat is dealing with. And see, this portion of the prayer brings a great deal of comfort to me, personally, because it shows us how direct and relational we can be with God. And because it's easy to fall into this trap of not praying when we are hurting or angry, because our prayers won't look like like Sunday morning prayers, because they won't be all clean and neat. Can I just share something with you? God loves messy prayers. He wants that. He knows it anyways. He wants us to come to him with that rawness and that emotion. And Jehoshaphat knew that, and he's in front of a group of people, and he's saying, God, will you not judge them? What, what are you doing? Because it's these tough moments in life, these raw emotional moments, that God uses to draw us closer to Him. And prayer is what helps us put our focus on God. Now look at the end of verse 12, because this is where we see, we see Jehoshaphat's focus shift a bit. The end of verse 12, For we have no power 
to face this vast army that is attacking us. Wait for it. Here it comes. We do not know what to do, but our eyes are on you. Jehoshaphat is a king standing in front of his people, openly admitting that he didn't have the answer to this problem. First of all, incredible humility. But, not knowing the answer, he would keep his eyes on the one who did have the answer. And so for Jehoshaphat, that meant praying to his God. And the application for us in this is to take, is to ask ourselves how focusing on God is affecting our circumstances. Is it driving us to seek him in prayer? Have we surrendered, surrendered our viewpoint so that, so that we can adopt his? Is he our hope despite the situation? The truth is that whether we are dealing with an army bearing down on us like Jehoshaphat, a global pandemic like the coronavirus, or something much more personal, we need to place our focus on God because he has this surpassing capability to handle all of it. Every bit. And that leads us into our final point for this morning. And that's this idea that prayer is designed to inspire worship. And this is verses 13 through 18. So this is the balance of the section that we're looking at this morning. All the men of Judah, with their wives and children and little ones, stood there before the Lord. And then the Spirit of the Lord came on Jehazel, son of Zechariah, the son of Benaiah, the son of Jaleel, the son of Mataniah, and Levite, and the and descendant of Asaph, as he stood in the assembly. He said, Listen, King Jehoshaphat, and all who live in Judah and Jerusalem, this is what the Lord says to you. Do not be afraid or discouraged because of this vast army, for the battle is not yours, but God's. Tomorrow, march, march down against them. They will be climbing up past the pass of Ziz, and you will find them at the end of the gorge in the desert of Jeruel. You will not have to fight this battle. Take up your positions, stand firm, and see the deliverance the Lord will give you. Judah and Jerusalem, I'm sorry, Judah and Jerusalem, do not be afraid. Do not be discouraged. Go out and face them tomorrow, and the Lord will be with you. Jehoshaphat bowed down with his face to the ground, and all the people of Judah and Jerusalem fell down in worship before the Lord. Can I just say I didn't realize how many different names were in this when I was studying it the first time through. <laughs> so reading it like over and over again, I'm like, oh. So, okay, so we see God answering Jehoshaphat's prayer very quickly. God responds with some, some great answers. He's telling them not to fear. He's telling them that he would be with them that they wouldn't have to fight because the battle isn't theirs. Can we point can we just notice that there are so many things in our life that this that those kind of things are true also? God says says these kind of things to us too. You will not have to fight this battle. I am with you. The battle is not yours, it's mine. You know, God does these kind of things with us all the time. So Judah's situation and our lives are very similar in this way. 
But what is key here, the question is, is that how do we respond when God show the, shows us these things? Because the immediate response of Judah was to bow down and worship God. See, this is the place that prayer should lead us to. This posture of worship. No matter what the answer is. Because the answer from God may not come as quick as you would like it. Or it might not even be the answer that you want. But that's not the point. Because we aren't worshiping the answer. We're worshiping the God who gives the answer. Prayer is a relational process. And so because it's in a relational process and we're not worshiping the answer, we're worshiping God, it's designed to inspire worship. And that's what happened here with the people of Judah. Oswald Chambers speaks to this concept really well. One of his, a great quote that I found, when he says, prayer does not fit us for the greater work. Prayer is the greater work. You know, if my grandmother was here this morning, the first thing she'd say to us, she would tell us is that Oswald Chambers was right. She would tell us, she would tell all of us that prayer had a dramatic effect on her life, on her faith, and on her circumstances. And then she would invite us all over for pasta. That's how it would go. I mean, it would be a good day. It would be a good day. But, see, our challenge this morning is to be disciples who grasp the privilege of prayer. By making it a priority, by walking together, as we are inspired to worship our God, who is in charge of it all. Every bit of it. Let's pray. Father, we love you. And um, so many times as we come before you, when things are uncertain or you know, unclear or chaotic, it's easy for us to lose sight of you. But you've provided a way for us to find you, Father, and that's this, the, the option of prayer. Help us to embrace this. Help us to become a church that not only embraces this separately, but embraces it together. Um, help us to walk together, to be inspired, to worship you through prayer, to make it a priority. Help us to seek you in every way possible. Um, we love you, Father. We want to follow you. We want to be disciples who seek you and who make other disciples, Father. Help us to be that church, Father. We love you so much. In Jesus' name, amen.